friend and tell a friend, I'ma keep the same friend whether I lose or win. Up by down ten, I'ma fight to the end. Welcome to this week's Football and More podcast. I am your host, Ethan Hammerman, talking about football and more each and every week, joined by two guests this week. Very special week. You know the playoffs now. We have our two championship games. We have the Falcons and the Packers. We have the Patriots and the Steelers. And I have two great people with me uh, whose teams are not in the playoffs this year. But I'm sure they have plenty of takes nonetheless, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things tonight. Uh, one of my guests is someone who I actually recorded a full episode with about a month ago, and it got completely deleted, which is a shame because it was a really, really good episode. So I had to bring him back, make it up to him. Um, he does a lot of different things. Uh, he's at Football Sickness on Twitter. Uh, it's Ryan Burns. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate uh, the recognition of our brilliant conversation last time. It was uh, <laughs> it was really good, man. Too bad. We'll do it again. Uh, we'll do it many times. And before I get too deep into this, I also do want to reference that right now we are in different time zones, and it is very late in the time zone I'm in, and there are multiple people around, so that's why it might be a little bit quieter tonight. But, you know, we'll, we're making it work anyway. And one of the ways I'm also making it work is – when I wanted you back on again in order to make up for the fact that you had an entire episode deleted, I wanted to have your best buddy on here as well because uh, he's someone else who I've followed for a long time. He's someone else who's great. So we have uh, at East Coast Dog 70 I believe, is your Twitter name. Uh, Sensoga's on here as well. How are you? What up, Ethan? Thanks, man. Yeah, no, there's – it's just East Coast Dog, no 70 on the end, although – um, I've thought about adding it because almost every other handle I have is like send dog 70 or something. So it's, it's not a, it's not hard to add at all, but it's good to be on because, you know, since we had the lost episode, um, it's good to jump in and, uh, try to see if we can make this one, make this one stick. The send dog is criminally underfollowed on all social media platforms, by the way. So well, make sure you guys jump on that. It's it's one of those things where you, the, the the people who got in early they know what they got. Everybody else missing the boat. It's not my fault. It, it's an indie follow. Exactly. Yeah, of course I'm. I got your Skype name and your uh, your Twitter handle mixed up. We're off to a great start this episode. I I think it bodes really well. Uh, but, oh, sure. Yeah. So I guess first let's talk about this past week's slate of games. Um, we can just probably do a couple of quick takes on each of them in order. And we'll start with Seattle, Atlanta. Uh, last week, actually, I do want to toot my own horn a little bit. I went 4-0 on picks. I am very proud of myself. I did not expect that to happen. Uh, but you can go to the tape. I picked every single winner in last week's playoff games. and That's odd, Ethan. Yeah, you know, I, I did it. I'm very proud. And Seattle, Atlanta, um, 
yeah, Atlanta was just better on offense and Seattle wasn't the same on defense. And I think that's pretty much what we saw this week. Uh, I want to start with Ryan, though, because I think the X factor in that game was Taylor Gabriel. And we've talked about Taylor Gabriel <laughs> last time you were on the podcast. Uh, yes. What do you think about this guy? I mean, he really is a total uh, game changer. He shook uh, Stephen Terrell out of his jockstrap last week. He did. Look, uh, X factor. Let me Let me back it up. Because the reason you're asking me this with a tone is because of any kind is because I'm a Browns fan, of course, and the Browns cut him. But the thing that's important to remember when it comes to that whole thing is that this was always Kyle Shanahan's guy. The only reason he was in Cleveland in the first place is because Kyle Shanahan saw him in a very specific role in which he was not really truthfully able to deploy him when he was in Cleveland because the Browns have no actual wide, or at least at the time, had no actual wide receivers. Now, when you go hiring and firing everybody for every year and a half or so, this kind of stuff happens. You're going to cut loose of guys that are talented. They've always cut loose of guys that are, talent, guys that are talented, and we do this every time. Yeah, Taylor Gabriel's a talented player. I mean, but do I think Taylor Gabriel makes the difference in even one win for the Browns? No. Now, so as it relates to Atlanta, I think what it shows is what it – I mean, the news of the day is Kyle Shanahan, I suppose. And to me, what I'm witnessing is that Kyle Shanahan – is sort of plugging the holes in his offensive resume. The guy used to be someone that we would say about him, he, he's a really brilliant offensive mind, but he likes to get a little too cute, and then he gets a little too, I'm not sure what the word was for for big moments, but it was, it was always an over-reliance on scheme rather than just good old-fashioned football. And I think you've seen a... a or at least I've seen a total mellowing of that this season. He's found a really nice balance. And of course it can't hurt to have guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and <clears throat> Alex Mack while we're talking about guys that actually matter who the Browns cut or didn't resign. Um, so to me, what I've seen in these games is, is Kyle Shanahan's greatness as a play caller. And frankly, Matt Ryan's emergence as somebody who you can count on as a a genuinely big-time quarterback where I think a lot of us had sort of the waffling stance on him for a long time. Ryan has been fantastic this year. It's it's really been a revelation. Clearly something was wrong in the past, and he's figured it out, and uh, he's spreading the ball around well. Those running backs are fantastic as well, um, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And then defensively, they're doing just enough. They're they're just getting by, and I think that now we have four defenses left in the playoffs that aren't very good. Um, Sen, do you have any thoughts about Atlanta or Seattle? Well, yes. Well, I mean, you kind of touched on it real quick. It was the running backs. I think that is what has really enabled Matt Ryan to take the next step this year. Obviously, Julio was a beast, and you wondered who was going to step into the hole that Roddy White was leaving behind. But the ability to be able to turn the ball off, turn hand the ball off to Tevin Coleman or Devontae Freeman, get these guys in the passing game, which we've seen Seattle had trouble with running backs out of the backfield as well. And they, they really struggled this week, and Tevin Coleman made a bunch of big plays. So I think it's going to be fun. You talk about defenses. I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll get to the Packers, but – if you don't go over on this Packers-Falcons game, and you're just trying to throw money away. Because I, I think this is a game where you're going to have points scored Boku. And I, I think Seattle, you know, we wondered how long it was going to take before you started to see them kind of miss their window. Injuries started to take a hold. Did you just haphazardly throw French into this discussion? I, well, look, I'm, I'm well-traveled, brother. You know, I, I just do what I got to do. Um, but I, I think you're seeing Seattle now at the end 
of their run, still trying to find their new identity, trying to turn the, the season over, turn the team over to Russell Wilson, who's taking control. But that defense is starting to get a little bit older, a little more injured, and we'll have to see how they be, they're able to put it together next year. I've seen a lot of takes about how you can't run that Seattle-style defense unless you have Earl Thomas on it. And I think that's a fair take to have um, because when you don't have a guy who can cover 50 yards in a reasonable amount of time like an Earl Thomas, like a Devin McCourty, I think we're seeing that Stephen Terrell is not going to cut it. Now, I mean, Malik Hooker's in this draft class, and he's someone who I definitely want to discuss because he's an interesting prospect in a lot of different ways, and he could be an Earl Thomas for a team. But, yeah, I think that Seattle's magic sort of ran out, and the one good thing from this playoff run is I think that they may have a star receiver budding up. If Paul Richardson keeps it up, and granted, he's running the same routes that he ran in college, and he's just doing it at the pro level now, and he's winning, and a lot of those routes might go to Tyler Lockett when Tyler Lockett comes back. Um, Richardson's been fantastic, and I think that they got to keep trying to get him more work into the offense next year because he could be someone who could totally bust out, at least in my opinion. You just named both guys that I loved from probably their sophomore or junior years. I'll I'll plead memory failure as to which years were which guys. But both Lockett and Paul Richardson were guys that Sen and I certainly got a handful of as UCLA fans because Colorado and Kansas State were on the schedule or in the bowl games and so on and so forth. Those are guys that can both play in this league. They're not – Look, the, the tendency is to try and compare every sort of smaller statured, super fast wide receiver to Deshaun Jackson, which I think is personally, I think it's just a mistake of analysis. Number one, Deshaun Jackson is a complete freak compared to almost anyone against whom you would pit him athletically. I, I, I watched Deshaun Jackson from the time he was 14 till now, and I've still never seen anybody cover that dude one on one. And Thanks, so. Chip. Yeah, well, that's a whole <laughs> oh, podcast. Oh, 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 that can be in this podcast. <laughs> we, we can talk about that. Yeah. So, I, but when I look at guys like Richardson and Lockett, there is sort of a similarity in in the following perspective. Nobody covers these dudes. They're always open. Now, Richardson in the NFL is going to be a tad more specialized, but by and large. If you allow these guys to work zones in a game that is continuing to become more and more spread out on a a season-by-season basis, to me it's just another example of the Seahawks being sort of ahead of the game in a a way not all that dissimilar from how Belichick is or has been always ahead of the game. When Belichick went to the two big athletic pass-catching but still genuinely dual-threat tight end, you know, offense, that was that, that completely busted you know, everything everybody had prepared for defensively. Now, I think you're not going to go quite that far when you're talking about a Lockett and um, a Richardson, but when you add a, a strong run game and you add a dual-threat quarterback to it and you add a guy like Jimmy Graham, you're just stressing defenses in every possible direction and with skill sets that just, by and large, the average NFL defense, unless they are really, really well constructed, is not going to be able to deal with. You know, I'm going to mix in some draft right now because you brought up Deshaun Jackson and the Pac-12. I know both of you guys are UCLA guys. They have a couple of some good wide receivers this year, really, really good wide receivers. One who has gotten... Um, some Deshaun Jackson comparisons. That's John Ross from Washington. And then also Juju Smith-Schuster 
from USC. So I'm going to start with Sen. What are your thoughts on both of those guys? I mean, how scared were you to play them as a UCLA fan, and do you think that they could be good pros? Uh, well, I mean, I think first off, Juju is probably going to take a hit because the last couple SC receivers that have come out have kind of underachieved. You look at Marquise Lee, where you thought he might be in the pros. You look at Nelson Aguilar and what he's been the first couple years in the pros. Even Robert Woods, who's kind of flown under the radar, um, which is still sick to think that Woods and Marquise Lee were on the same high school team. Um, I think Schuster might take a hit from that. I think he's different, though. He's bigger. He's fast. His route running is polished. His hands are exquisite, and his speed after the catch is is tough to tough to match up with. So I think he's going to be able to bust the mold of the SC receivers we've seen in the past. When you look at John Ross, people, people have talked about him in the same vein as Deshaun. But what I see from him is better at the top, at the point of the catch. He's better than Deshaun. Deshaun's kind of slight. Ross is kind of slight, but he's explosive to the ball. He's a red zone target that Deshaun never has been anywhere in his career. Even at Cal, he was not a red zone target. Um, in the NFL, he hasn't really been a red zone target. He's been a big play receiver. John Ross has taken over games by himself. And his explosive ability, really, I would say, is what has gotten Jake Browning to that level. Browning was highly touted in his own right. But John Ross has been an absolute stud and carried that Washington team this year. Largely without him, they wouldn't have been been able to make it in the playoffs. So I think those two receivers are far and away at the top of the class this year. And it's going to be interesting to see how they're used in the NFL. If people just use John Ross to run deep routes the way they use Deshaun Jackson, I think they're going to be absolutely underusing his talent and ability. You know who I kind of – he kind of reminds me a bit, and I'm going kind of a, a little bit back. But he reminds me a bit of one of my favorite receivers, and that was Joey Galloway. All right, Galloway was strong, would make plays over the middle. He could take it over the top to you. And John Ross kind of reminds me a little bit of him. And if he can kind of take what Galloway did to the next level, he could be a baller in the league. I love those vintage comparisons. They're they're so good, uh, Joey Galloway. Um, yeah, no, I like John Ross a lot. I think he's really explosive. And it's funny you write up Marquise Lee because he's actually been really good this year. I thought that he might have been the best receiver on the Jaguars this past year. I've had two Jaguars people come on the show and say that, that Marquise Lee performed better than Robinson or Hearns this year. And the funny thing is that Juju reminds me a lot of Allen Robinson. I see a lot of similarities in their games in terms of their post-up ability, in terms of their route running. They both have kind of a weird style at times. And... I mean, I actually like Darius Rogers at USC as well, even though he's going to be a later-round pick. I think that he could be a really good contributor on a team as well. But Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, uh, if you look at the upside, I mean, he's so young. He's only going to get better. And he might slip a little bit because teams are a little scared he's going to run slow. And draft Twitter seems to think that he's bad against man coverage, which I don't personally agree with. But that's just me. Um, Ryan, do you have any other quick takes before we move on to uh, another game? No, I think Sin encapsulated those guys perfectly. I, you know, they were both people you worried about as a fan, though. You asked how you feel about it usually. I know I was much more worried uh, about John Ross than I was about Juju personally, but that may or may not have to do with other factors on the field. I, you know, you never worried too much as a UCLA fan about how the defense was going to fare. You felt like they'd stack up pretty well against just about everybody. It was the offense I was always worried about, and that, that more or less was the, the story of the past couple of seasons. Well, then let's go to the other NFC game, Green Bay-Dallas. Um, this was the best game of the weekend. It was fantastic. 
Um, Aaron Rodgers making some magic happen. Uh, Sen, so you are an Eagles fan. Uh, I hear you don't like the Cowboys very much. So what was it like to watch the end of this game? Well, I'll, I'll say this. I, you know, for the last couple of years, the Cowboys have struggled. Um, they, they, they've gotten close to where they want to be, haven't been able to pull it out. And some Cowboys fans have been hiding in the corner. So this season, when they found, by the way, two of my favorite college players, to be, to be able to watch these guys start young and bring it up in Zeke Elliott, and, and Dak Prescott, and then to watch them blossom with the Cowboys was painful. And <clears throat> two of our favorite players. Yeah, two of our favorite players. To watch them blossom with the Cowboys was tough to fathom, I'm sure. In a couple more years, I'm going to hate them the way I hated Emmett and Troy Aikman and all those guys anyway. But to see the Cowboys nation come out in droves as if they've been beating their chest for the last five years, it was fun to watch them go down this weekend. Now, I'm going to say this. Everybody balled. Dez balled. Elliot balled, Dak balled. I put this largely at the feet of Scott Linehan and obviously Aaron Rodgers' right arm. If the Cowboys had stuck to the run more in the first half, I think they would have been able to kind of weather some of the things, keep Rodgers on the sidelines and not put their defense out there as much as they did. But they started to throw the ball a little bit more. They wanted to get Des Bryant involved in the game a little bit more. They thought he could beat a lot of the matchups against the Packers. And he had his way with Gunter by and large. But I think that's a game where he should have given the ball to Zeke Elliott 30 times. He would have easily had 170, 180 yards. He would have controlled the time of possession, and Green Bay wouldn't have been able to do that. But in the second half, they still had a chance to run the clock down, even score a touchdown rather than kick a field goal, and they blew it. And they blew it because they played, to me, the best quarterback I've ever seen. I know we're going to talk about Montana. There's Elway. Brady's obviously got a lot of the rings. But when you're looking at physical talent, being able to move out of the pocket, being able to stand in the pocket and find the guys, the ball placement, the athletic ability. Aaron Rodgers, to me, is without peer, right? And I think it's a shame that we're looking at a guy who's now 10 years in the league and only has one Super Bowl. He has a chance to get another one this year. But that throw he made to Jared Cook on the sidelines will go down in history. As the same the way that Eli Manning dropped that one on the sidelines in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Those types of plays when you need to have them, throws that most guys can't make in their dreams, Aaron Rodgers does it on a regular basis. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to blaspheme, but are, is that even in the top ten throws you've seen Aaron Rodgers make? I, well, see, that's the I thing that I so keep coming time. back to is I agree with you. He's the best I've ever seen when he's at his best. Now, you can go into legacy questions, and I would give that at this point to Tommy or to Joe. But, look, when Aaron Rodgers is at his peak, there is literally nothing to be done with that guy. And so – I don't lay this at the feet of anybody other than the Almighty because there's nothing you were going to do that was going to stop Aaron Rodgers in that game. And I know there were moments at which the Dallas Cowboys defense fared pretty well. And, I, look, I, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I have a hard time. Look, it's painful, but I have a hard time coming away from that game feeling anything other than, like, my team is really good. And they're, and they're set up be to be really, really good for a long time. Yes, that's painful. Yeah, they're, they're set up to be dominant. I mean, they are they're in great shape. They've, they've dragged – first of all, they've taken advantage of league stupidity. You talk about things like Lyle Collins. How Lyle Collins is a Dallas Cowboy is beyond me. Um, the, the defensive lineman whose name I'm forgetting at the, at the moment, who or Stephen Irving? Is that his David name? David Irving. Irving. Cam, yes, yeah, Irving, yeah, Daniel Irving. It's David Irving. David. 
There you go. I wanted to say Steven. I don't know why. David Irving. He has played incredibly well down the stretch. And you've got all these guys that, look, the Dallas, I, you know, Ethan, I would take exception. I think the New England defense is better than to be called bad. But by and large, I the undertone of your original point there that we've got four bad defenses in the playoffs, it's not, I mean, it's at least valid. And so what I think I'm seeing from Dallas is a, is a program that's built to last in a league where bad defenses are the norm when you get to January. And also, I think some people said um, we might have just seen some historically good defenses the past couple of years, like Denver's defense last year and Seattle's a couple of years ago. Um, and we're sort of seeing the regression to the mean when you don't have all the health and when you're in a league where the offensive rules are very much favored over defensive rules. It's just very skewed. A lot of thoughts. I mean, the thing about Dallas to me is I could still see them fucking this up by trumping up a quarterback controversy all summer. Yes, yes. I, oh, believe me. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> Emanating. Listen to the joy from the believe Eagles. Me. I, I don't believe that wasn't a sound effect. <laughs> be, believe me. I, I know that they're talking about Romo moving on to another team and Albeit to me, they, they already have a sunk cost in him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't find a good deal to bring him back for another year. It would be foolish to do so. But they could trump up a controversy. Jerry Jones get in the middle of this and screw the whole thing up. Look Who knows? Here. It is a $5 million difference. You can keep Tony Romo for $5 million more than it would cost you to get rid of him and have no backup plan for Dak exactly. Prescott. Exactly. I'm keeping exactly. Tony Romo. So would I. And then it's going to linger. The entire offseason. I mean, this is exactly what happened with the it's Patriots. And it's over. This is exactly what Patriots happened. Fan. You've seen this before. It's over. And the Patriots shipped off Bledsoe when they had a chance. Well, they did. But that was – okay, that part of it I'll grant you. There's a possibility that Dallas gets enough to, to – for it to make sense to ditch Tony Romo. But if they're a team that thinks they can win the Super Bowl, I don't – you know, I, I don't know. Uh, And I know Jerry Jones loves Tony Romo, so maybe Jerry Jones does Tony Romo a solid. But does he love him more than he loves Lombardi's? I I guess we'll see. I mean, one thing that came up is I'm not sure where he would trade him because Houston, I don't think he'd want to trade him within the state. I think that that would be bad for business. You don't want to essentially make Houston the best team in Texas because Houston's not too far away from uh, being a really good team either. They just need a quarterback for sure. Um, Denver might make some sense. Maybe Los Angeles if they end up shipping out Rivers, which sounds like it might be a possibility. San Francisco could be a fun place to see him go. There are some opportunities there, so I, I think we'll see what happens. But I have to ask about the other backup quarterback in this game who also, uh, what are you going to do with Brett Hundley? Brett Hundley, UCLA's own, every preseason he's letting it up, a little bit of Matt Schaub to him. Uh, The guy is clearly crazily talented physically. He's been able to sit behind Aaron Rodgers now. He's been able to learn the system. I think that you're getting close to the point where if you're going to get value for him, it's time to trade him. (laughs) Maybe this is the season where Brett Hundley finds a spot. Imagine Brett Hundley in Jacksonville. He might beat out Bortles. Brett Hundley has been sitting on this bench, and and this is something that I personally don't understand. 
he's 23. He's going to be 24 in June. Yeah. So yeah. Brett Hundley is someone who now has sat on the sidelines of an NFL team for the past few years. No, and not an NFL team, the NFL team behind the quarterback <laughs> who knows exactly what the hell he's doing when it comes to things that other people are not thinking and doing and seeing. And I was as skeptical as anybody could be about Brett Hundley coming out. And I've since concluded that the error was entirely on the UCLA coaching staff at the time. <laughs> And that Brett Hundley is supremely talented and that he's been extraordinarily well coached. And you could talk me into a hell of a lot of bait for Brett Hundley. But here's the thing I don't understand, and I'd like to hear your feedback on it. And this is what Seattle got lucky with. Seattle got extremely lucky with Russell Wilson because they were able to spend a non-premium asset to get a premium player. Quarterback value is always going to be elevated to an extent. I mean, Brock Osweiler was a second-round pick, and then we saw how much he got paid for this year. And this quarterback class is a little weird. I'm still not sure how it's going to all shake out. I have likes and dislikes for all the quarterbacks in this class. I'm even higher on Trubisky than I thought I would end up being after rewatching him. I think that he has a lot of potential. I still wouldn't take him as high as some of these teams are going to take him, but I think he's probably better than Jared Goff. Um, but... Why wouldn't you just trade a less premium asset for a quarterback who's been in the league for the past couple of years rather than just take a flyer on a guy maybe like who's either going around higher than you would necessarily have him graded or is lower than you would have graded, but you're just taking him to take a quarterback, you know? Like, I'd much rather take um, – I'd much rather have a third for Hunley than Trubisky in the top ten. Uh, well, I'll I'll go. Um, conceptually, yeah, should, I completely you used agree. To draft quarterbacks earlier than you should. So. Uh, look, most of those, as you can well testify to, I did not agree with. Um, the short answer is, I conceptually, I agree with you, Ethan. I think. Well, number one, I don't know that you'd be able to get Brett Hundley for a three at this juncture. Maybe you could, and if you could, I think you'd have to consider that. Um, but uh, look. I think it just comes down to individual evaluation of each quarterback more than anything else. And so I think to try and paint any of what is a quarterback worth in sort of broad terms is really difficult to accomplish because the right quarterback for your roster is worth a hell of a lot more than it is for somebody else's roster in a lot of cases. And we have to at least acknowledge that we live in a world where the NFL is full of quarterbacks that are imperfect. I mean, we're talking about a league where let's, I assume half the league would kill for Alex Smith. Okay. So (laughs) I don't know how else to say what I mean to say concisely, but decent quarterback play goes a long fricking way in this league. If you have a decent team around it. And so what I see is sort of broadly that playing out more than, you know, in any one thing. I'm just going to throw – yeah, sorry, go. I was going to say, I don't even know if it's decent quarterback play because I, I watch a lot of the quarterbacks playing now, and I don't know that they're all decent. I would say um, just not terrible, right? I don't even know if that right. qualifies. No, I, exactly. Right? It's, it's all they care about, somebody that can complete a pass every once in a while to their team without throwing to the other team too many times. Suck less. 
Right. <laughs> that's that's basically what we're looking for. And the sad part is that we can't find 32 quarterbacks that can do that on a regular basis. So, kids, if you're looking to play, play quarterback and do it well. Play quarterback and be tall and be white. One thing that I just want to say before we switch segments. Bummer in this year's draft. People are going to have a hard time finding that. <laughs> well, no, they have Trubisky. They have Josh Allen. Top five pick Josh Allen. Josh He's not coming out, but draft. that You're was right. the Trubisky play. is the one, though. But look, Trubisky's part of a trifecta. You've got Trubisky, and you've got Mahomes, and you've got Kaiser. I don't know how you... And Deshaun Watson. Look, no, Well, look, I think Watson, to me, is a self-contained entity. You have a much better idea of what Deshaun Watson is and probably is going to be. And frankly, I'm all here for it. You can put Deshaun Watson on my team, call it a draft, and I will be quite pleased. But I also see where you might be – I don't mean to hijack and direct it into the draft, but I also see where those other three guys get attractive to a lot of people in the NFL. You know, let, let's – before we get on to the AFC, since this is going to be a football episode anyway, very football heavy, let's talk about the draft. Uh, before I get there, I just want to say the Patriots traded Bledsoe for a 2003 first in 2002, you know – trade Romo for a conditional first or second based on how many games he plays for his next team, I don't think that would be a bad deal for the Cowboys. But putting that to bed, moving on to the draft, this draft is weird at the quarterback position. You sort of mentioned it. Um, we're going to start with Ryan because you're a Browns fan, and we've talked about your quarterback position for a while. How would you like to see the Browns approach quarterback in this draft? Well, in the draft, I mean, I guess it kind of depends. You'd have to tell me whether or not they do things like get involved in Tyrod Taylor over the offseason and whatnot. But my personal feeling is, generally speaking, look, you have more assets in this draft than anybody ever has in any draft. They have something like 14 picks. They've got number one. They've got number 12. They've got the first pick in the second round. They've got five of the top 65-ish picks. I mean, look, if you're not coming out of this draft, with the person you believe to be your best shot at the quarterback of the future, then I'm not sure what the point of this draft and all that accumulation of picks was. Now, you can bellyache about this isn't a great quarterback draft, but at the end of the day, I see four or five minimum guys that I'd be at least pretty intrigued by, and i got to think some teams are going to fall in love with on one level or another. Now, is everybody going to fall in love with all five? Of course not. But I look at Watson – you just you we you know you said it and I, to me Watson is the guy. If what you believe that is that quarterbacking and this is what I believe is the quarterbacking is a lot more than passing. It is about being able to manage a group of people. It's about being able to make big plays in big spots. It's about knowing when to take chances and when not to. It's about knowing when a pick is probably a little more acceptable than it isn't. I like Deshaun Watson an awful awful lot. And then there are three guys that do all kinds of fun athletic quarterback stuff. And so or maybe even four. And then because you could include Kaya or however you say, how do you say dude's name? Brad Kaya. Kaya. You, could, you could include him in the analysis because to me, he does a lot of stuff and he at least has familiarity with what they're going to ask him to do at the next level. Um, and he's a talented dude. I don't love the tape by and large. But I did enjoy – not enjoy. I, when I watched him play, I thought, you can work with a guy like this. you know. Um, but I, I also subscribe to the theory that guys don't really change all that much. They might grow, but they probably don't change all that much. Uh, so to me, it's just you got to get your favorite 
of these quarterbacks in this class if you're the Browns. You have the number one pick, you have the number 12 pick, and you have all kinds of assets should you need to get up or down from either one of those spots to perfectly target it. But at the end of the day, there are a bunch of guys here that can sling it, and you better like one of them because the alternative is that you like Robert Griffin III or Cody Kessler going forward, and neither of those, as a fan to me, is remotely acceptable because they were both awful. So if you're asking me which of those rookies I like, quite frankly, I'm going to be happy with any of those four or five guys. I like a lot about Watson. If you're making gun to my head, Watson's the guy I would roll with. But I also, I probably like Mahomes almost as much if you balance everything out. It's a sliding scale, right? But Mahomes from a holy shit, did he just make that throw perspective is as good as I, I mean, he's fantastic. And then Trubisky and Kaiser, to me, both offer big, strong dudes, plenty of arm, have a sense of what they're dealing with from an AFC North perspective. And I do think that matters up there. You can't have your quarterback getting beat up. Like Deshaun Watson can't play in the AFC North and take hits the way he took against Alabama. He'll be dead. So there is something to the big, strong dude thing. But, yeah, I guess I would love to see them – end up with Miles Garrett at one, and then if I could get Deshaun Watson to fall to 12, I'd be more than happy. Sen, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit since you're an Eagles guy. How many quarterbacks in this draft would you take over Carson Wentz? Oh, wow. That's cold. I love this question. Wow, that's cold. All right, so first of all, I have to say Carson Wentz was better than I expected considering he wasn't supposed to play, and he played at North Dakota State. Having said that, I'm still not sold that he's the dude. Um, he's still he made a lot of throws that, I didn't know that. made me scratch my head. Um, he's definitely athletic and, and looks the part, but he's got to take a large leap in year two, and, and part of that's going to come with putting NFL talent around him at receiver and running back. Um, in this draft, I would take Deshaun Watson over Carson Wentz. Um, everything I've seen from him from the time he stepped on the field at Clemson has been as advertised and all the stuff people talk about him and want to bring him down. I haven't seen it. He makes every play. He's athletic. He's a leader and he wins. I, I think that's all I can ask for out of my quarterback. Um, Deshaun Kaiser, I'm not sure he's good. Um, he's big and he, he reminds me a lot of McNabb. I, it's although when hey, you're at my club, I, I, I tweeted out that he reminded me of McNabb yesterday. He does. See, see the thing he is, really reminds he reminds me of a good short hop like McNabb. He does. See, he sure has that. But in college, I didn't. I don't think at that time I was paying much attention to the short hop. But he also, when McNabb was in college, he was throwing to Kevin Johnson. He was throwing to Marvin Harrison. He had guys to throw the ball to. Kevin Sean, Johnson. Thank you. Right. You're welcome, mate. I miss Kevin Johnson. And not for you. <laughs> right. So there's, I, there's guys McNabb threw to. Quentin Spotwood. I mean, he threw a lot of guys back in the day in college where he was getting stuff done. Rob Conrad. But when you start to look oh, at what God, right. Jesus done, Christ. you know, he's he's a big dude, a strong dude. He has an arm, but I'm just not sure he's good. I'm not sure Trubisky's good. I know he made a lot of plays this year at Carolina, but I don't know that he's a transcendent talent. When I look at these guys, I mean, I feel like they're all Carson Wentz, except Deshaun Watson. I feel like they're all Carson Wentz. They're all big dudes who can make plays, who can make a throw when you need them to, but they're all extremely inconsistent. And that's where I find the problem in these quarterbacks that we're drafting. The only guy I've seen who's extremely consistent, who you know you're going to get from on a day-in, day-out basis, is Deshaun Watson. After that, I think it's a crapshoot. 
I think that's a really good take. I just love that you mentioned Kevin Johnson and Quentin Spotwood and Rob Conrad on my show. Um, <laughs> because that's what you think of. Rob Conrad was the castaway dude. And uh, for some reason, Kevin Johnson made me think of Patrick Johnson, the former Ravens receiver from Oregon. Yes. He was really fast. All he was was really fast. He did nothing else he well. Was really fast. I don't know. My mind goes to weird places. Um, no, but Kaiser McNabb comp is something that I have been sitting on for a while. And Kaiser is my number one quarterback in this class. And I think a lot of it's because the thing about Watson that scares me, and it might have been a function of his offensive system, he tucks the ball to run way too quickly. And it's something that I saw a lot. I also don't think his arm is great. I think that he could be a good player, but it was really annoying because the more I watched him, I want Watson to be better than he is. And I just feel like Kaiser is a little bit more upside. And I think his receivers kind of let him down this year. And Mahomes is the guy who, it's kind of like Wentz. So sexy. Because the thing about Carson Wentz is that if Carson Wentz played every play like you see in practice at the Senior Bowl or you see without any pass rush, Carson Wentz would be the best quarterback in the league. Because Carson Wentz has an amazing arm. He's super competitive. He's really athletic. He does everything well in a bubble. But Carson Wentz can't deal with pressure, and you saw it this year. Anytime there was pressure, he folded. He tripped over his own feet. He sacked himself. Uh, it got in his head for the rest of the game. And players revert back to their primal urges when they are pressured. That's what yes. scares me about Mahomes, because Mahomes has an Aaron Rodgers arm. It's, it's he, elite. He, plays, he throws as a quarterback. He plays like a shortstop going up the middle. And he's an elite, elite player. His dad also is an amazing tweeter and was a form pitcher on the Red Sox. And uh, I wrote about his Twitter once. He used it's to piss really, me off when really he was on funny. The twins, by the way. So funny. But no, Mahomes has killer arm, killer athleticism. That footwork, though, if he pulls that shit in the NFL, he is going to not be good. Totally yes. agree. Did you like Andy Dalton's footwork? At TCU. I did not. And Andy Dalton had a worse arm. And who did he get coached by? At TCU? No, no. At Cincinnati. Oh, God. That's objection, leading question. (laughs) (laughs) I have a point. (laughs) Can I get Pat Mahomes at the first pick of the second round and use both of my first two picks on defense? Because that's what I'm fixing to do, if you'll allow me. And here's here's the thing. You mentioned football work and that I think is the biggest issue Carson Wentz has footwork and ball placement in his drop I think the coaches will get on that lucky that he has two quarterbacks coaching him and Frank Reich and and Doug Peterson I think they can fix that if they can then some of those high throws will go away but all I got to tell you when I met Mahomes when I watch him play and it's tough in that Texas Tech offense to figure out exactly what you want to do with a quarterback that's come out of that offense because at the end of the day a lot of them have not really flourished at the next level yeah I was just trying to be nice but he is the one that looks like he can step outside of that offense and do something. It's going to be interesting to see if he gets in the right situation because when we look at these these young quarterbacks, situation determines everything. And if you get taken too high and drafted by a team with nobody, it doesn't matter who you are. The thing about Trubisky, though, is he's not as shitty as I thought he was going to be. I still think that he needs to be... No, he was disquietingly good, actually. Yeah, I, I think he needs to be in a dome. I think he needs to be in a nice weather city because in cold weather and precipitation, he has a lot of issues. 
But he impressed me in his bowl game. He impressed me in the tape I watched. And I think he's better than Goff was when he came out. I, I would definitely put him above. Yes. See, I had this conversation with Matt Miller the other night on Twitter. And I, for me, I, I fully recognize and concede it was a minority opinion. But I never really felt it with Goff. I mean, I got to the point where I was like, all right, I guess if you got to take him in the top five, you got to. But for me, I, I would have much preferred a number of those guys a round later to taking Goff top five. And that was when I looked at this group, I thought, look, Goff, if you put last year's group and this year's group together, Goff is four, maybe number five for me. Agreed. And, and it's just, it's a, for me, I'll just concede it at the outset. I, it's a totally hunchy, touchy feely by feel thing for me. I'm not out here charting passes. That is not what I'm doing. I read a lot of people that chart passes. And so I, I consume that information and I don't totally discard it. But for me, I want to see evidence that this guy has a sense of what the game is doing from a flow perspective. I want to see that he, when people say game manager to me, that's what the hell I'm looking for, for my quarterback. And so I, I, view all that kind of stuff as a plus. And so if you manage the game well and understand when it's time to take chances and when it's not, and that's why I go back to, if you ask me about Deshaun Watson, I, I, I thought every crit, you know, criticism or not criticism, but concern that you articulated there, Ethan, I thought they're all reasonable and valid. For me, the reason I tip over the other way is because I see a guy that understands exactly what the hell he's doing at all times. And I have a great deal of value or put a great deal of value on that when I'm, when I'm analyzing quarterbacks. So I, I think with those other guys, they're just so young that it's hard to know whether they, and, and so that's one of those areas where we just concede the limitations of what we're doing here by watching YouTube cutups and, and broadcast games and accept that the people that get to sit in rooms with them for hours and investigate their, you know, greater depths have some better understanding of what they're doing than we do. So to me, it would matter much more what I felt about a meeting with the guy for a half hour than what I thought about his film. So I have no idea what to think if I haven't gotten to do that. I mean, Carson Wentz got drafted second overall based on meetings with coaches because uh, that guy is just so competitive. Like, I, I met him at the Senior Bowl. He's a competitive guy, and it shows. And he probably destroyed interviews. And I think that Watson's going to do the same, actually. I'm uh -huh. interested to see how some of the other guys – perform i mean trubisky it sounds like he's a little bit more soft-spoken so we'll see how that plays i don't think it should affect him that much but we'll see i mean it really does depend on the team um before we move back to talking about the afc games uh, any other final thoughts final um hot takes any thoughts on davis webb being a sleeper no no <laughs> There we go. That Those are our thoughts on Davis Webb being a sleeper. Uh, you know what? Actually, before we jump, Sam Darnold from USC. Um, okay. That guy is good. Is that guy oh, the we next lock? We, we disagree. I think he's I think he's fantastic. He's absolutely the one. And, okay. and it's, <laughs> I thought you said okay. <laughs> I thought that dude is bad. I'm like, that we got Josh Rosen, and I'm kind of bumming about it. <laughs> That dude's the one. I'm I'm not sure about Rosen yet either, but I think his coaching has sucked to this point. I think with Darnold, what you're seeing is a kid who's extremely talented, a kid who knows what the hell he's doing. And the only reason he didn't start day one was because they wanted to make sure that Max Brown didn't transfer right away. 
The only reason he wasn't the only reason they went down to Texas and got smoked by Alabama was because they wanted to make sure they had a backup quarterback as a season. It's the well, Tom Brady Drew Henson thing. Yes, because we, we know Darnold was a better quarterback coming in. We know Darnold should have started, and he proved everything the whole season. The way his elusiveness, his ball placement, his arm strength, his command of the offense—just, I mean, it makes me sick to say. But that quarterback is, is pretty. Pretty. Yeah, he is. He's really good. I was a little skeptical, but I, I'm on the wagon now after watching more of him. I think that um, sometimes you know when they're a freshman. We knew with Teddy, we knew with Jameis, we knew with Luck, and I think we know with Darnold. That is someone to watch for sure. But yeah, USC has to be pretty hyped about that. New England, Houston. Um, I have a couple of of takes on this game, but. The big one I want to say is no one should be upset with their team when they cover a 16-and-a-half-point spread. <laughs> That's my hottest take. Agreed. And, I mean, I actually think the Patriots and Brady didn't play great. I actually – people were complaining about his lob throws to Edelman and Hogan, but those throws were actually really smart because what Brady was recognizing on those plays is that Edelman and Hogan had single coverage, the safety was drawn away, and the corners were playing with outside leverage in all of those plays. And so Brady was just throwing it inside to them and letting them have a chance to make the play. And, I mean, it worked, and they didn't adjust to it. And I think overall the Patriots played really well. Um, they the need Patriots to play – walk through a divisional playoff game, in essence. Yeah, they need to play better next week. I think Houston's defense played really well in the game. I was impressed with them. I feel bad for Bill O'Brien because I don't think that it was his fault that they got Osweiler. Um yeah, I mean, I think New England did their job, and we'll see what happens with them next week. I mean, I didn't think it was quite as doom and gloom as a lot of people were saying. That was my take on the game. Uh, how much of it did you guys end up actually watching? Well, you know, that's interesting. I, I I watched bits and pieces of it here and there, and and it's tough to pay attention when you expect the result that you got. But I will say this. I'm, I, maybe it's not doom and gloom, but if, if Brady goes out there throwing picks against Pittsburgh, they're not going to win the game as easily as they want because Houston had the game there for the taking. They just decided to kick it right back to the Patriots as much as they could. All the turnovers the Patriots had, maybe that's a week off. Maybe that's a team that you're not um, you're not taking as seriously as you should, having handled them at home in the regular season. Um, the defense did make some plays. You expect that out of the Texans, and they're an Osweiler away from being good next year. But we'll see exactly if Brady and those guys can get that competitive fire back, and it, it might it might help being called an asshole on tape for everybody. They may – I think they'll probably – that may be on loop in their locker room all, all – uh, Is there anyone that didn't know the Steelers thought the Patriots were assholes? Is there anyone who doesn't think they're, they are? I mean, I think, I think anyone I who's not a I Patriots love fan – I, I love the record. Patriots too. I'm saying but there's, <laughs> there's the majority of people who are not Patriots fans outside of Boston who generally think of them as the evil empire, and I think they've probably felt everything – that that uh that Tomlin was saying at that time, but I think it's I think we're seeing right now the games that you want to see. Pittsburgh, New England, to me, I, I think ex- except for getting cheated out of a whole week of watching Tuck, uh, Tuck rule replays by the Oakland Raiders, uh, this Pittsburgh, New England game is the one I would have wanted to see, and I think it's going to be really fun to see two of the best quarterbacks of our era going at it with a chance with Ben Roethlisberger to get back to his third, and and Brady obviously to to just keep piling up the accolades that he already has. I think this is the most likable Patriots team that we've ever had. That's my 
hot Patriots take. I mean, you have Martellus Bennett, who's literally just in his own world. He's one of my, he's become my favorite Patriot. I think I, I love Martellus Bennett. I'm really happy they're going to resign him. I think. And then you have Gronk, you have McCordy, who's a really good guy. Um, yeah, I think this seems super likable. But anyway, I'm also biased. And Edelman, Ed- Julian Edelman, watch his YouTube videos. Look up Burger Time or Smoothie Time with a Y T Y M E. So funny. I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah, he, he's a funny guy. I, love, I like Edelman. Um, we don't really need to talk about Pittsburgh, Kansas City. You know, we need to talk about those since you mentioned it. Yeah. The 4-0 record on the weekend. I want to go back because at some point in this podcast, I just simply have to, and I will shamelessly do so, pat myself on the back for on January 2nd, picking both brackets perfectly till now. So you can take your 4-0. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Your support is noted. The How about the Green Bay-Atlanta matchup this weekend? What are we doing for this game? It's 50-50 to me. Like, I honestly – Flip that coin, though. How do you see it? It's tough. I lean Atlanta. I lean Atlanta just because that Green Bay defense is so beaten up and – one of the funnier news stories to come down the wire today is that they signed Benny Ben Wickery. And Benny Ben Wickery, <laughs> I didn't see that. for those who don't know, oh, was no. a former cornerback on the Panthers who actually played pretty well in their Super Bowl run last year. But this year, he had a game against Julio Jones where he gave up 300 yards, and then he got cut from the Panthers. And since then, he's bounced around, and the Packers just signed him to play against Julio Jones. That's that's an awkward situation all around. I, I I think you're right. The beat up Packers defense. We saw them. You know they came out with a lot of energy. You know last week and they faded down the stretch and allowed Dallas back in. And if they're going to give Matt Ryan the amount of time they were able to give Dak Prescott, um, Julio Jones is going to run roughshod through that secondary. I don't. The, the health of Morgan Burnett is huge for that Packers secondary to see if he's able to come back. Uh, signing Ben Wickery doesn't bode well for that well, for Tom Capers yeah. and that staff. Let's not pretend that Julio's health isn't a question. I mean, he's out there without total use of one foot. As his fantasy owner, I can assure you this was a problem for me all year, aside from that 300 game. Um, Look, football's funny like that. Julio Jones is capable of destroying any game in which he plays, and yet it doesn't happen 16 weeks a season. Why is that? It's because the other guys are pretty fucking good, too. And so when you give a team like the Packers, who are preposterously hot and quarterbacked by, as we've all conceded here, well, I guess Ethan, I yeah, won't I, Ethan, but... Don't, don't I, let me into this. I, well, I won't, but then again, we've both got 20 years on you. I've never seen anything like Aaron Rodgers when he's at his best, and that includes Tommy as much as I love Tommy. I'd give Tommy the greatest of all time, but look, you can't tell me. The Aaron Rodgers is freaking ridiculous, and I I am not betting against him in this this season. In it, I might bet against him when it comes to Tommy, frankly, but I don't think I'm going to do it with Matt Ryan. I picked the Packers – a couple of weeks back to run this table, and 
like Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to pick him to do it now. And, and before the season, I picked the Packers to beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl, so I guess I would have to ride with them too. That's pretty good, Sendog. I'm not going to lie. That's that's pretty good. I mean, I didn't think the Falcons were going to be this good, but I can't just get away from the fact that the Packers are so beaten up, and I know that Lodge, like we're all caught up in Aaron Rodgers. He is having an amazing run right now. And Atlanta's defense isn't great. They're probably around the same as the Packers, maybe a little bit better. Vic Beasley's a little beaten up. Adrian Claiborne's out. Um, I will say, though, they, their young linebackers are good. Delon Jones, or Deion Jones from uh, LSU, he's got to change his number. they got to change their numbers on Vic Beasley and Deion Jones. I'm sorry. Their numbers are <laughs> awful. Um, they're the so the bad. Where the numbers are no longer reflective of the positions we're yeah, playing. Yeah, and it's, it's just—it's impossible. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. But he's—he had a fantastic game against the Seahawks, and I think that he's going to be a really good pro. Um, fast linebackers—if you have the right line in front of them—they tend to do well. Um, yeah, I—it's a toss-up. This is not honestly fifty-fifty game for me. I just lean toward the team at home and the team that's slightly less beaten up. So I think either team, if they win, it wouldn't shock me, but I would pick Atlanta. Um, so Patriots-Steelers, sounds like Sen is going to go for Pittsburgh. My, I was talking to my dad about this. My dad's also a huge Patriots fan, and he brought up a good point. Steelers aren't as good on the road as um, they are at home, and the Patriots played them at home this year against Landry Jones, and that might have been part of the reason why uh, the Patriots struggled a little bit. Uh, granted, it was with Landry Jones at quarterback. What week was that? I don't remember, but I believe it was also before Jamie Collins got traded. Well, more importantly, was it weeks one through four? I can't remember. As long as it, it was, was not, it I think it was week six ish. So it was with Brady. So it was right after the. Okay. Let me double oh. check. It was the week after they lost to the Dolphins. The um, well, the Browns lost were to the week Dolphins. Five, I assure you. Let me double check. Patriots went at Browns, home for Bengals, and then at Steelers. Uh, the AFC North twirly gig. Fun. Yes. Yeah, we, we did Steeler. it all. <laughs> yeah, well, look. Yeah, uh, to me, the Steelers at home, the Patriots at home, the Steelers on the road, the Patriots at home. These are the two premier organizations in the AFC, if you ask me. And... I respect either of them in any building at any time, and I think either of them would be wise to do the same. The Patriots and the Steelers know exactly what they're dealing with in this game, and it is teams and organizations that have been built to last and to win. And so I, personally, I don't see – look, home field's always a, an advantage, but – I don't think I don't think you're intimidating Ben Roethlisberger and, this, and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and and Pouncey and all the guys on defense by saying ooh we're going into Foxborough. I just I I don't think this bothers those kind of guys anymore. And so what I think we're going to get is a pretty damn good football game. Mm-hmm. And and when you talk about intimidation, the Patriots have lost at home in AFC Championship games recently mm-hmm. um, to teams from the AFC North. And I think when you, you look at Big Ben, here's the one thing he's got to do. He, he is now on that – he's at that – if he hasn't already gone over the top of the hill, he's he's cresting. And He is 13 years in. Can you believe that? 
I mean, it's it's amazing. And now he's he's the guy who's been here before, and the other guys that need to make the plays around him have not. Le'Veon Bell hasn't been here before. Um, Antonio Brown obviously hasn't been here before, and 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 is clearly acting like it. And they they've got to find a way to channel their emotions, which is a, the difference between these two franchises. The Patriots, for the longest time, they do not show. You never know exactly how they feel on the field. They just come in there in their suits, take care of business, and hoist another trophy. The Steelers, you know exactly how they are. They 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 follow their head coach. They wear their emotions on their sleeves. Will they be able to channel that emotion and be efficient with it? Because we saw last week in Kansas City, they did not do a good job. Six field goals got them the victory, but you're not winning a game in Gillette with six field goals. They leave points on the field a lot. Where if you look at the Patriots, they get the most out of their offense, regardless of who's playing. They haven't had Gronk for how long. They still put points up because the Patriots just take care of business. That's where the Steelers are going to have a problem. That, that feels do, like a paraphrasing right there. Possible. You, 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 you've heard it. My thing is, I've said it. it my my <laughs> just thing is this. Win. My thing is this: the Steelers on this run have forced turnovers left and right, gotten after the quarterback. If they do that on Sunday, they'll win the football game. But if they allow Tom Brady to pick them apart, which we know he can, and it's a long game for that defense, they'll have trouble. They've got to get home. They've got to force turnovers. I think they can. I think this will be the best game we've seen all year. It's going to be a hell of a game. It was week seven, by the way, when the Patriots beat the Steelers, right before they traded Jamie Collins to the Browns. And one thing that has to be said, since the Patriots traded Jamie Collins to the Browns, the defense has gotten better uh, because players have played more assignment-oriented football. And I think that with the Steelers... Do your job. Yeah, do your job. I mean, Kyle Van Noy had five quarterback hits last week against the Kyle Texans. Kyle Van Noy. Kyle Van Noy, he had an amazing record, game against the Texans. Kyle Van Noy as a draft prospect, loved him. And, and Shane McClellan re- returning fumbles like crazy. Um, McCle- I mean, you look at the names that are just making plays. We do love the Mountain West. And they're, <laughs> they're cast-offs from teams that could use really good. Kyle Van Noy finally got back from his Mormon mission last week. It was great. <laughs> it only took him like five years. Ben Olsen never got back from his. Oh, God. Yeah, Drew Olson as well. Um, I mean, the thing with the Steelers, though, is that Brady threw the same amount of interceptions against the Texans that he had thrown all season. And the way that Brady has thrown interceptions recently, it's when he gets tricked by a linebacker in coverage or a safety who shades over the middle and he doesn't see him. The Steelers have one of the best at doing that in Ryan Shazier. So I think that that's something that does scare me. If Shazier can have the game of his life, and it seems like he's playing fantastically right now, I think that they have a chance to create some turnovers and potentially tease Brady. At the same time, though, the Patriots' offense is – this is their best offense that I think I've ever seen them have. When you look at their depth at receiver, and I've said it before, I think, but a core of – Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, Chris Hogan, Malcolm Floyd, Malcolm Mitchell, and Michael Floyd. That's a top five receiving group in the NFL right now. And then you have Martellus Bennett at tight end. You have LeGarrette Blunt, James White, and Deion Lewis at running back. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are all players who I believe at one point this year for one week were top 15 overall fantasy options. 
And then they have Deion Lewis fresh, who's been resting mostly, well, not resting, but injured, but fresh legs at the end of the season. We saw it last week. I mean, all it is is find the matchup. It's all just find the matchup for the Patriots. I, I, had to, I, had to, I mean, when I said wrestling, I was like, well, Sorry, Seth, but that cracked me up, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's not resting, but lying in the hospital bed with broke, both legs broken. Yeah, I, look. Mike I Lombardi. Patriots team, I think this Patriots team is as complete as any they've put together. I mean, I, I don't see them as the best Patriots offense. I don't see it as the best Patriots defense. But I think it might be the best combination. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm forgetting a team here somewhere, but to me, from an offensive perspective, this team can threaten you in so many ways, and that's not even including the fact that they're missing Rob Gronkowski. If they had Gronk, this would be downright unfair, and I wouldn't even consider who else would win. But the way they stretch you, and I, the Michael Floyd edition, I, there's no other team to which Michael Floyd could just walk on and make such a big difference. But of course he's going to do so here. I mean, he's, he certainly did in the week or two that he's been there. And then you look at the other matchup problems that the team can still present to you, and when you do yourself the disservice of defending the pass, they will run LeGarrette Blunt right down your face. And once Deion Lewis got healthy, it became a complete mismatch festival. And so to me, it's Patriots and everybody else. But the reason I give both the Packers and the Steelers a puncher's chance is because Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, you know, I don't know how else to put it. Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, you're right. Uh, ben and Rodgers are both really good quarterbacks. Ben Hall of Fame quarterback, that's an interesting conversation. I tend I to lean on the side that he is, you. but uh, I don't know. I, I mean, walk, but I hear you. Uh, well, well, hmm. That's interesting. I mean, what it, quarterbacks that are active right now, plus Peyton, do you think are Hall of Famers? Say that again. What quarterbacks that are active right now, plus Peyton, do you think are Hall of Famers? Rodgers is, is a Hall of Famer. Brady is an obviously Hall of Famer. Breeze, look, Breeze is a Hall of Famer. I think if we're being honest about it, we have to at some point acknowledge that the game changed. And so if what my perception of a Hall of Fame quarterback is, is slightly skewed by things that I saw guys like Joe Montana and Brett Favre do versus what I've seen a technician which is what I think Drew Brees is, and I, I mean it very respectfully, do. I don't view Drew Brees in that category. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's in the Joe Montana, Aaron Rodgers category, and it's right, just right. because I don't – and I mean it so respectfully because Drew Brees is so ridiculous. I don't know how to say this properly and have it be here, – here, Here's a thought. If Drew Brees hadn't won a Super Bowl, do you think he'd be a Hall of Famer? Assuming the numbers are the same to me, absolutely. I think even I think he's putting you have to respect so the numbers wildly, at some point. Yeah, right? they're so wildly ridiculous that even if he didn't have a Super Bowl, I think where he would be is he'd be one of those guys where you go, well, he doesn't have the Super Bowl, but his look, numbers are so wildly Brees, ridiculous, it doesn't matter. For those that forget, Drew Brees is one of the most prolific college quarterbacks of all time as he came out. So Drew Brees has been doing it forever, as of true freshman at the University of Purdue. So it sounds like we think Manning, Brady, Breeze, 
Roethlisberger, Rogers, Rogers. And I'm not sure Rivers doesn't squeak in. I, I personally vote Rivers in. I know a lot of people wouldn't, and I wouldn't argue that loudly with them. Well, I, no, uh, I can't put him in until I see. I mean, I think what hurts Philip Rivers is the playoff failures. Uh, yeah. I, Same thing that hurts Marty, and I don't, I don't really argue with it. So, I, you know, no objection. I'm just whispering Eli this here, but how about Eli? Eli yeah. A, how about Eli? Eli gets in like, like Bradshaw gets in, I guess. Uh, Eli is the most – Eli is the one where I, I, I will argue – I wouldn't put Eli in myself. I think – I understand why he would. I think he's going to make it. I wouldn't put him in, but I think he's going to make it. I think he makes it on the strength of two huge Super Bowl runs and the team that he beat. And in he played Super awfully well. <laughs> he really did. And, and and I think he gets props because he beat those guys. That ball to Manning right? I think butter. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, that's where it is. I, I think if he had won two Super Bowls against other teams, maybe there's even still maybe in, 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 and you know maybe there's more part of so that goes a long way. He won two Super Bowls against those guys. And I think that makes Here, it here's how I'd put it. If you gave me one game that I had to win and all else being equal, I'd take Eli over his brother. <laughs> so wow. I'd probably put him in. Wow. I, 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 nah. no. I, I don't feel like I can <laughs> go ahead and argue with me, Eagles I, fan. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I, I know where you're coming from because we've seen – what Peyton does in the clutch and too much Peyton is not always okay. a good thing. In my defense, I was always like from 2001, I saw Tom Brady make that run. And I said, look, I'm throwing my lot in there. So I got lucky and got right with Brady early. And so I'm allowed to have some discard for Manning. But even so, I like Eli in a big game because he just genuinely doesn't care. He will make that throw. Whereas Peyton is to me always been more in his own head. Well, then, no, it's not, there's no, no, this is not a critique. It's just, I prefer the artist over the scientist in the ultimate moment. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah, I don't know how else to say that, too. I, we're going to talk about other things tonight, but I think that's a good place to end it on. I mean, we just covered the entire playoff run. We talked about the draft. We talked about some history. Uh, you know, we'll leave it on one more note, and, and this is just, this is just for me because we got a little bit nostalgic earlier, you know. Said name those random Syracuse names. Uh, give me like two or three on your team underrated players from the past uh, twenty years or so that you don't think that the young people know about that you want them to look up. Um, have to be Ooh, they have fun. to be Eagles or they could be anyone. They can be anyone. I want to give the listeners a little bit of homework. Do a little Google oh searching. Oh my god, this is so fun! All right, well, can we do? Let's. I'm gonna hijack. Let's do three of yours, Sin Eagles. Three of mine, Browns, and let's jointly do three UCLA Bruins. Okay, I got that. Let's start with the Bruins and go with Kenny Easley. Um. Yes, Kenny Easley is somebody that everybody needs to look up. One. He, one he should be in Canton, by the way. Yes, he should be in Canton for sure. Uh, it's fun. What else it is? What? Well, I think there. It depends on what there we're are many talking. answers. Just pick one you like. The, well, one guy I like is Ken Norton. If you don't know who Ken Norton is, you better look him up. Ken Norton was awfully good. We can roll with Ken Norton. What else you got? 
man, I'm, I'm thinking of all the guys that I've seen play. About to picks. So funny thing is, just as an aside, Skip Hicks lives ten minutes from me, and I actually have watched him now coach youth football. You need to background these youngsters. Who is Skip Hicks? Skip Hicks was one of the best running backs in the Pac-12 at UCLA back from '94. Pac-10. In the Pac-10, yeah, Pac-10 from '94-ish to '97. Um. Now watching him as an older dude coach youth football, I've got to tell you, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen because I still remember uh, I'm going to a frat party and this dude showed up in pajamas to a frat party because he had it like that. Now watching him coach kids that, you know, his son is a baller. We'll look out for the younger younger Hicks as we get along. Pat 10 touchdown record. Oh, what do you got? 23, 24 touchdowns, I think. Yep. The kid put up a lot of points. Uh, when we got to the NFL, not so much. If we're going to look Washington Eagles. Redskins, I believe, early Dan Snyder. I thought y'all were going to bring up Deshaun Foster when you're talking about running backs from UCLA. Yeah, that was no, that Deshaun was went to school about 10 minutes, high school Tustin. about 10 minutes from where I presently sit. At, he was a Tustin Tiller along with Sean Green, those of you that are baseball fans, Dodger, uh, Sandy Koufax generation. Um, but, yeah, uh, we had running backs plenty, yeah. one upon the other. Who you got for your Browns? Underrated? Uh, you know, I'll combine them. Uh, Jameer Miller. That's who UCLA. I was going to say. What's that? He, he he was great. That that was my pick. Jameer was, number one, a really good dude. He was at UCLA partially for the same time we were, and I was, for reasons that will remain undiscussed, in a room, and we, did, we hung out, and he was a good dude. Um Jameer Miller, let's see, who else can I go with? Jameer Miller also played for the Browns and became sort of the centerpiece of the defense for a year or two, which was really fun for me. Um, Eric Turner is going back a ways, and it was tweeted we about today. We him for UCLA. Yeah, another – well, we're doing the same. I was saying I would, I would, I would merge them all. UCLA, Browns, another one. And then, in fact, I'm going to do this a three-way, UCLA-Browns merger. Donnie Rogers is the other one. If you go back to the mid-'80s, and I know I'm going back a long way, but that video will exist. Donnie Rogers and Eric Turner are both tragic stories because they are UCLA to Browns safeties who both were dead by the time they were, I don't know, 30. Donnie was probably 24. Eric Turner was up late 20s, early 30s, and, and was more of an illness. Donnie Rogers' deal was a drug overdose. Both incredible players, and... Um, you know, all sorts of lessons in there. I don't know why I went to the dark turn, but yeah, why don't geez. we take it some more fun, yeah. please? I would, I'll make sure to pick guys who are still alive. <laughs> please do. I, I was going to say Darren Chivarini is the is the, the brown of choice for me. That's a oh, much better look answer. At you. Let's do that. <laughs> look at you. Um, so I'm going to start off with one of probably my favorite Eagles of all time, and that is Eric Allen. Um, that dude was a baller. Um, still living. I, Still, yeah, still living. I would pick one guy who is is not living, but you've already tip, hit our, our quota. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about Reggie. <laughs> or Jerome Brown. Or um, Right, so either one of those guys. But Eric Allen was a guy that was just underrated to a fault, but was quiet, big player on the outside at cornerback, made a lot of big plays. I think he's one of those dudes who, if he was more loquacious, would probably be more looked at as – a borderline Hall of Famer for the plays that he made. 
I'll stick along those same lines in those 1990s Philadelphia Eagles. Outside linebacker Seth Joyner um, played for the Eagles, played for the Cardinals, um, also made a ton of plays in the linebacker position. And then, to me, the guy that epitomized Buddy Ryan's uh, NFL football teams, epitomized what Buddy Ryan did was Andre Dirty Waters. All right. Andre Waters at the strong safety position along the same lines as Chuck Cecil. That'd be another guy who wasn't an Eagle, but if people don't know who Chuck Cecil is, they can look him up, and he's the reason why we have all these NFL rules against hitting people in the head. Chuck Cecil was so bad they kicked him out the league. But Andre Waters was was that guy, unfortunately in the middle of the field, going after guys like Luis Sendejas in that bounty bowl against the Dallas Cowboys, another thing people can look up. Chicago Bears. You said we weren't going to talk about people who died. <laughs> and you just eliminated the entire Chicago Bears. No, you're talking about Andre Waters. Right. That's sad. Oh, oh. Um, I guess you're right. Yeah, that's, that, that's a sad story. I, mean, I guess so. I guess I'll take another number twenty then, Brian Dawkins. That, that works. That good works. Save. Good save. <laughs> that, that's a good save. I'll take the other number twenty, than Brian Dawkins, because I and I've said many times. I've told Burns many times between him. Palomalu, Ed Reed, and while those guys may be in just the next level up, I, I think of those three guys having changed the way the safeties play, not only covering on the back end, but also with the line of scrimmage, blitzing, making plays in the backfield, turning footballs over. Those three guys, to me, are what have turned, and, and obviously a guy number 26 in Washington is longer around, but changed the way safeties play the football game now. Rodney Harrison, too. Just throwing it out there. I, I, Rodney Harrison is one of those underrated safeties in football history. I think Rodney Harrison's a Hall of Famer. That's probably my most homerish take on anything. But when that guy came to New England, he completely changed the way that they play defense. And he was just the most versatile safety I think I've ever seen. He was after Malloy, right? Malloy left first before they brought in. The yeah, they cut right? Malloy and they brought in Harrison. And I remember the uproar after cutting Lori Malloy was the leader and all this stuff. What are we ever going to do? And he went to Buffalo, and, I mean, things worked out for New England, right? Yeah, things work, Things tend to work out okay. So, I mean, now, listeners, you, you have your homework. Got to Google those names. And uh, only some of them are sad. But all of them did really well. So I, I think apologies. that it's a, it's, a, it's a good homework assignment. Um, Ryan Burns and Sensoga. Uh, we've been on for more than an hour now. Thank you so much for joining me on this late night. And it's, it's, actually it's been Wednesday. a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday over there. So I appreciate you hanging in there and uh, making this happen. It's been a lot of fun. No problem. Um, we're going to have to do this again sometime for sure. And good luck to all the teams playing this weekend. Hopefully it's a good weekend of playoff football. But this has been the Football and More podcast. If you have any thoughts, any questions, tweet at me at Ethan Ham. Share the podcast, like the podcast, listen to the podcast. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.